Welcome everyone. We're about to begin. Best is Hashem BPW number forty-nine. That's Bais Panimi Shear number nine forty-nine for the women. Um, the Bracha Yoitzer HaAdam that we say Sheva Brachas talks about the creation of Adam as a single entity, and as Chava being created separately as a single entity, showing the importance of the individuality as they subsequently fuse together again as one unique whole showing us how both elements are important and are key. To have your individuality of your separate halves of neshama that are unique and special and your own, fusing into a oneness by through marriage of becoming truly one, but a one that appreciates the differences between each other as well. The Gemara says, Kol Adam she'en isha adam. A person's not really considered a full person until they're united with their other half. And this is the concept of Shalom Bayis. To build a family is, of course, what we say, Binyan Adeyad. This is the prerequisite to the Binyan Adeyad. This, that each individual, husband separately, wife separately, is unique, and every couple once they are together, has a unique identity and a mission statement of how they are to serve HaKadosh Baruch Hu in this world side by side together. The goal is what Hashem really wants, as we have shown in many shiurim, is that they become each other's best friends, that they become each other's trustee of each other. They stand together. They're always by each other's side. They're always supporting each other and especially when they're facing challenges, they face their challenges together. In the early Shalom Bayashir, I think number three, all the way back, we brought down this medrash of this couple that loved each other deeply, but they were unable to have children, and they decided thus that after 10 years they would get divorced. And they came in front of the Roshim Bar Yechai with their decision, and they asked him to prepare the get for them. And he said, first host a party for their family and friends. He said, you created this union with a celebration. You'll divorce also with a celebration. At the meal, the woman, the husband, poured cup and cup of wine to her husband till he became in a happy mood. And he told her that any precious item here that you would like, take it with you to your father's house. And her husband fell asleep. She asked her servants to help him um, into his bed and carry the bed all the way to the father's house. When he awoke, husband recognized the surroundings and he asked his wife, what happened? And the wife said, you told me to take the thing from our home that I wanted most to my father's house. That's exactly what I did. There's nothing in the world that I want more than you. And with that, they turned back to the Rashbi and saw their, he saw their great love for one another davened for them, and they were blessed with children. Beautiful, wonderful story that the caring of each other, with, with each other is ma'ayr, a special ahava and chiba, is ma'ayr rach shamayim, to bring brachis into the world. That whatever other schools they are, when there's people struggling with infertility, the caring for one another is truly a, 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 a an unbelievable schooler to 
ultimately bring out the Rachme Shemayim for this couple. And in general, with other crises as well, and other challenges as well, when you face it with each other with a deep love, that very deep love is Ma'irachmim to help the couple that Hashem helps them with that challenge because he sees the great dedication and love they have for one another. And of course, what's very important to know, and we had Shiram on childlessness, that Pruvu, yes, is an extremely important mitzvah. And it has an, uh, 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 it's one of the aspects and reasons for marriage, but it does not replace the etzem union of the couple as a husband and a wife. The, hus- the, the children, Baruch Hashem and Be'ez Hashem, for those who don't have, Hashem should be, they'll be zeichet to children, and that's a, a, a beautiful result of that union. But children are not the definition of a marriage. Children are not the sole reason of being. It's not the sole reason of being in a marriage. It's not the sole reason why one is a wife or a husband. And that is an extremely important concept to be aware of. And therefore, we need to understand people suffer from fertility or secondary infertility, whatever the case may, may be, and this causes them a lot of agmas nefesh. Sometimes the secondary means that they, whatever the scientific or medical reasons are that they were able to have children and then at some point they have difficulty again and they only had two children, three children, four, they truly want more and they're struggling with it. But it's important to be aware that ultimately the, cha- the, 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 the way to get through these painful situations is to love each other, to be empathetic, of course, to a couple who is going through this. But it's extremely important that a husband and wife really stick together, love each other no matter what. They could daven together, but it should not create uh, agmas nefesh that creates a distance, but rather creates a closeness. The Akedas Yitzchak has an interesting shot when, when Rachel saw she didn't have children, and says she got jealous of her sister. They say it was a healthy jealousy. And she says, give me children, otherwise I will die. And uh, Yaakov got upset. And, and, and Rapam talks about that. And, and the Chazal say you have to be careful how you talk to someone that is suffering. But the bottom line, he, he says, Am I Meaning, I can't take, can I take the place of God who remove that ability to have children. So that Kedis Yitzhak explains that this wasn't, again, we're dealing with the Avais, we can't comprehend how great they were. And in the words, Yaakov was just trying to teach Rachel a certain lesson. Uh, the Kedis Yitzhak brings down that a woman is given two names, Isha and Chava, the first woman. Isha means that She's a woman that's like an ish, meaning in the sense that they're equally capable and intellectual and in all areas they are, they are, um, you know, independent and, and equal to one another. And Chava implies Enkolchai, the mother of all beings, which means the capacity to bear children that's unique with women. So what Yaakov was trying to tell Rachel is, don't forget your second purpose in life. Meaning, there are two purposes for you as an Isha. There is the, there is the, 
have a part of it. There's the pruvu of bearing children, but there's also the part of an isha be'etzem, which means to be a woman independent of having children, of being a wife independent of having children, and to fill shleimus that way. So Yaakov was trying to say, don't forget that. Don't forget that even while you don't do not yet have that purpose of bearing children at this point in time, you have that other purpose which is worthy of your existence and even thrive in your existence as an Isha independent of having children. Now we mentioned it in, in other Shior, and we're going to come across it again over here, that public displays of affection, people ask if it's okay, if it's not okay. Bederaklal, the Shulchan Aruch brings down, it's an Evan Ezer, Chaf Aleph, Sif Hei, 21, um, and Sif 5, and then it says they are You can't act affectionately even with your wife or with your husband. It goes both ways in front of other people. The reason behind this is it's not because we're shameful of it. It's not because we believe there's not anything wrong with it. But it's simply because the intimacy between a husband and a wife is Kaidish Kadashim. It's sacred. And just like when something is holy, Let's say a Sefer Torah. There's nothing more Kaddish than a Sefer Torah. And we put a belt around it. Then we put a mantle around it. And then we put sometimes these, you know, uh, crowns and things like that. And then we put it in the Arna Kaddish. And then we put it, close it with uh, the doors. And then we close it again with a further with a Pareiches. And then after with all of these coverings and concealments, when it comes time for Kriya Satira, the Torah is taken out from that space and we read the Torah on specific occasions, and as soon as the reading is complete, the Torah is once again belted, that's the Hagba Galila process, covered with the mantle, returned back to the closed doors, with the Parechas covering it up, that is the apex, the spitz of Kedusha, that, that never finds expression in exposure. That's why, you know, it, they, we make a big, when you have two Sifrei Taira, especially those rare times during the year where we have three Sifrei Taira, like Shabbos Reish Chaydesh Hanukkah, or Shabbos Reish Chaydesh Adar Parshish Golem, or Shabbos Reish Chaydesh Nisan Parshish HaChaydesh, because it's a rare thing where so much is exposed. But even then, for a short period of time, it goes back hidden. That is the idea of the Sefer Taira being hidden because of its holiness, the intimate relation between a husband and wife is holy, and therefore it is hidden, not because of shame, but because of its great value. Similarly, when HaKadosh Baruch Hu revealed to Moshe Rabbeinu in the snare, the burning bush, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu. It doesn't mean he was afraid like we were afraid of, 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 of spiders or, or mice or, 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 or even more terrifying things. It's more like a f- afraid meaning in an awe, a certain awe of the holiness that he faced. And he felt that the appropriate response was to cover his face, to avert his eyes. And the Samachlaikis, whether you know it was a praiseworthy, but we're going going through the shot that it was for that very reason, he took the Kedusha seriously. Similarly, we have when Rivka saw Yitzchak walking towards her for the first time, she sensed and saw his Kedusha. And it, the Chazal bring down that there was a light of Ganeden that was with Yitzchak. And in response to that Kedusha that Rivka felt that when she saw Yitzchak, 
she covered her face. In the, in the, by Yeshaya Novi also, he brings the Malachim, had six wings, two were for flying, the, which is the only two that were really functioning for a purpose. The other four was to cover their bodies, you know, so to speak bodies. You know, they have a certain body, but not like us human beings, but in a ruchniistic sense, to cover their feet, to cover their face, when they were beholding a Kedusha. So you see over here that Kedusha is when you, again, the Yichud room, same idea. It's it's a hidden place. It's a hidden place. Or when the Kayin Gadol entered the Kaidish HaKadoshim. It was only on Yom Kippur by the holiest person of the year of the of the, of the of the of the of the Kain Gadol, and in the holiest place, the Kodesh Hakadoshim, on the holiest day Yom Kippur, and the Kruvim there, that shows the relationship between Hashem and and Klal Yisrael was was put there. The Kodesh Hakadoshim is called in Tanach Hadar Hamita. It's like a Melachim, Melachim Beis, Parakid Aleph Pasik Beis in the Rashi over there, and Devi Ayamim Beis. Chaf Gimel Pasik Yud Aleph over there. Hadar Hamitais, bedroom. Strange thing to call a Kaidish Akadashim a bedroom. But the idea is it's a private and holy space. And the same thing too. The husband and wife's private place is their bedroom, and that is their personal Kaidish Akadashim. And Bilam, who said this with Ruach HaKadosh, coming from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, How beautiful are your tents? And Rashi talks about that, that he, he was in awe of their modesty in their encampment, in their encampment in the desert, where the tents were positioned where no two doors faced each other. They respected the privacy, and it's brought down in the halacha. You're not allowed to have windows or doors that directly face the windows and doors of the adjacent home. There are halachas in this brought down in Chaysh and Mishpat. So you see from all of these concepts of that the privacy is not because of a shame, but it's because of a greatness. It's because of a kedusha, because of a high thing. You see also in Chazal they bring down, for example, a lack of tzniyas that could cause someone to get divorced, certain categories of women that violate their das Yehudas, it says, their normal modesty, and they lose their ksuba in, in many cases. So one of them is called a kailanis. What is a kailanis? Someone who has a loud voice, where the voice is heard. So there's different pshatim on what the voice is heard is. Either it means that they, uh, uh, she, you, she speaks loudly regarding sexual expressions that people could hear, or people living next to her could hear her either soliciting her marital relations from her husband or refusing her husband's attention to her, or they hear the sounds that she makes while engaging in sexual intimacy. So this is a big lack of tzni, it's called kailanis. This lack of discretion is considered a, a, an offense to the point where the husband can divorce her and she could even lose her ksuba. So you see from all this, that the privacy concept is not to be misunderstood, that it's an inhibition, that we're holding back sexual expression, although we don't take it seriously, or that it's something shameful. Because in its right context, in the bedroom, there should be an openness there, and, 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 and a fiery passion there. But for the world, it's closed. It's meant to be closed because of its preciousness. 
because it is beautiful, not because it is shameful. And that is a very important yesoid that is reiterated often again and again, even though it's obvious, because we need to ingrain that in us, because of the outside society that misuses this concept so much. So therefore, generally speaking, that is why a husband and wife reserves their intimate touch and expressions in the confines of the bedroom. And that is the reason why we do that. The outside culture is so warped in this area, which is fascinating. You have heard interviews of young people that still have their heads screwed on straight, that explaining the hookup culture that they have in college campuses, where boys and girls just make a decision to sleep together, and 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 how destructive it is, and how they're not happy themselves very often. You know, from the outside, you may think they're just, you know, it's a taiva that we can't have, so by us that we have a taiva dictating us, but it's really a fun thing to do, and it's and it's and it's it's just it's it's like good food that's trafe that we hold ourselves back from. So this is good, and 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 but we have to hold ourselves back from. But in reality, it causes a lot of misery. They're very very unhappy, and it is strange. They would never share their credit card information with each other. They won't share their bank account. They won't share their toothbrush, but they sleep together. It's very, very strange. This is this hookup culture that that our country, this country, is getting really um, deteriorating in. That is something that is we we, we just it, it just totally unhealthy. And 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 where how in Instagram you share intimate aspects of life in social media or in person, but you would never share your investments. You would never never share other things that are less intimate. But this you share, it is a very strange thing. And we talked before, and we'll just touch upon it again, about the children, about whether to show physical affection, like hugging and kissing in front of children. And again, like I said, you know, the, this book, Holy Intimacy, that I'm taking some of this from, discourages it. They're obviously from a culture that they don't do this. Some cultures do, some cultures don't. But whether you do or you don't, the general thing that you always say over here that's important to know is on both sides. If you don't, then you need to figure out ways to show your love and your respect and your consideration and your tenderness and your responsibility to each other as a mother and father. Now, the truth is, is they have a point because if 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 a husband and a wife and, and the children see this, a mother and a father don't respect each other, then they could kiss and hug and cuddle in front of them. It It's meaningless. If they fight like cats and dogs and they're harsh with each other, those display of affection, they will sense it's a bunch of baloney. It's nonsense. It'll even have a negative effect. It's not going to help your children if they don't see the respect and the love and the care between you. Even if you do show physical affection, it, it, it's meaningless to them because they know that you, you, you use harsh words and and all of that. So what does it help? So that's a very important point to understand. But at the same time, for those cultures that do it, if they do have the respect and consideration and tenderness and 
and, and love. And they sometimes see them touching each other or giving a mild kiss on the head or, or, or a caress. It's, it's, it, in many cultures, people do that. And it's not a harmful thing. It could be a beautiful thing. However, even for those cultures that do do this, things that are overtly sexual, that's a no-no. That's not healthy. The children themselves need to know this. If you do these like deep, I don't want to get into detail, but you know what I mean, that there's a big difference between, let's say, a light kiss on the cheek or a little hug or something beyond that that's already sexual, overtly sexual, that children should not see. Children are smart, and when they get even young teenagers and older teenagers, they figure out things for themselves. They don't need to see this. They need to know that there's things in the bedroom, there's sexuality that's separate and should be private and holy. And this overt sexuality uh, uh, that a mother shows a father, father shows a mother in front of the children, is, there's no purpose for it and is even counterproductive. The, you need to show that there's certain aspects of behavior that actually belong in the privacy of their bedroom and that needs to be respected. So even in those cultures that do this, that show physical expection, uh, uh, affection, but not with outward, uh, blatant, open um, um, sexuality. That not. And for those cultures that don't show physical affection whatsoever, they don't show physical contact, and that's the culture, also fine. But there has to be a way somehow to make it very clear of how much they truly love each other and respect each other by their eye contact, by their smiles, by their listening to each other, by their menschlichkeit towards each other. So again, so again, you'll read in different places, you'll go to different rabbanim, you'll go to different madrichim, they'll tell you different approaches on whether to show physical affection in, in you know, uh, uh, publicly towards the children, mentioned that there's cultures that do this way or that way, but the two extremes have to be avoided. You can't show overt sexuality, even in those cultures that do show affection in public to the children. And for those that don't show anything, they have to show a, a, a real large amount of emotional warmth and caring and love, even if the physical expression is not there. Bracha